the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a charming movie from the lawless-ass 1990s where a man straps a rocket pack to his back and punches Nazis. That's right, boys and girls. Tonight, we'll be discussing The Rocketeer. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. and box office slops your home for movies with moxie and suds with your buds. Tonight is our 134th episode. We're taking you back to the golden age of glitz and glam of Hollywood 1938 for The Rocketeer. I'm your host with the most, Captain Cash. <laughs> okay, okay, I can't keep doing that for the rest of the movie. So for my sake and yours, listener, we're just going to do it normal. Uh, here with me, as always, is the Thunderous Wizard. Turns out Timothy Dalton always had a license to kill and thrill. He he truly did. <laughs> and I am pleased tonight we have a pair of special guests with us. Uh, please welcome back to the pod, the Zoot Suit Riot. Hey, I'm just here to throw back a bottle of beer. There he goes. And making his debut on the pod, longtime listener, first-time podcaster, the Bewildered Courier. Uh, I just got lost here and found my way. Listen, we're going to Shanghai you onto this pod, whether you like it or not. So just join the pod. It's going to be a good time. Talk about this movie. All right. Sounds like a good plan. We are brought to you tonight by Wabam Entertainment. That's W-O-B-A-M entertainment.com. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B-O Flops. Tell us what you'd like to hear us do next. The whole reason we're talking about this movie is the Bewildered Courier recommended it. So... With that in mind, the beer for tonight. Tonight, we are drinking Hazecraft IPA by Great Lakes Brewing. As the name suggests, this is a hazy IPA with an ABV of 6.7%. So it's not going to send you into orbit, but it should at least get your rocket going. This is a juicy IPA with citrus notes. Gentlemen, let's all have a drink. All right, that's pretty decent. Let's go around the, the horn. We give our beer ratings based on how many bad movies we'd sit through if we were plied with beer. One through three will allow for halves. Suit Suit Riot, how many bad movies would you sit through for this beer? I'd say uh, one bad movie. One bad movie? Yeah. Not So not a huge fan is what I'm gathering. I mean, it's good. It's, um, I mean, I love the artwork on the can, but it's, oh, uh, yeah. as far as hazy IPAs, it's, you know, average. So I guess I should say the whole reason that we picked this particular beer for the this movie is, It is what looks like the Rocketeer's rocket pack on the can. So it it just seemed really appropriate. Uh, Thunderous Wizard, where are you at with this? So I'm with with the Zoot Suit Riot, uh, except I wouldn't throw back a bottle of this beer. It's too fruity for me. So I'd say one movie. I'm not going to shine a lot more sunlight on this. It's a one and a half for me. It's... It's juicy and it's different. And I appreciate that. Like on this pod, we drink a lot of IPAs, a lot of stouts. And at a certain point, they all start to taste the same. This feels a little different. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, let's move on to the movie. We're going to be talking about, as we mentioned before, The Rocketeer. 
uh, which was directed by Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson, frequent uh, directing call-in to save a movie, but also director of Captain America, the first Avenger, yes. which this movie was like the, like, this is his warm-up. Like, this is yeah. the first draft. Yeah. I, period, yeah. I haven't quite nailed the Nazi beating up movie. But, but I'm going to get there one day. Yeah. I'm gonna you give it. me 25 years and I'm just going to knock this out of the park. Um, well, to, to be fair, too, it was, you know, he kind of had a good pretty much since the movie was from when the movie should have taken place to that. Uh, what, 2010 worth of uh, source material to go with. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah. there there was plenty of. He, he put the work in, I guess is what we're trying to say. Right. And it stars Billy. I was the cowboy in Bram Stoker's Dracula Campbell as Cliff Secord, the titular rocketeer. Uh, his love interest and inspiring actress Jenny Blake is played by aspiring actress at the time, Jennifer Conley. Timothy Dalton is our principal villain, and he strikes me as like an Earl Flynn, Douglas Fairbanks pastiche. Neville Sinclair, did anybody get that? 100% he's... Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Then I'm not insane. Like, he's both. Like, he's he's the the evil version of Errol Flynn. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. If Errol Errol Flynn was a Nazi, he was trying to steal government data. As I understand, Errol Flynn was already maybe not that great a guy, but he wasn't a Nazi, at least. At least <laughs> we can say that it's a, it's a low barrier for entry. All right. Beyond that, we've basically got a murderer's row of character actors from Alan Arkin as the Rocketeer's mentor, uh, PV to Terry O'Quinn of Lost Fame as Howard Hughes, Paul Servino as mobster Eddie Valentine, which confused the shit out of me. It's Eddie Valentine, not Eddie Valiant. I was getting my, I was like, is this two fame Roger Rabbit? Are they related? Yeah. Are they Eddie. both the same? Valentine. Exactly. Could you imagine? Please. Happy yeah. Valentine's Day, Eddie. If Roger Rabbit showed up during one of his meetings with Timothy Dalton, it's like, oh shit, all bets are off. <laughs> that, honestly, the timing was right, and that mm-hmm. would have been fucking incredible. I don't know if it would have made a better movie, but holy shit, if I could like do both, the, that would the be... rockets in Toontown, Eddie. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, we also get uh, John, I, am I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but Polito uh, of Miller's Crossing fame is Otis Bigelow. Uh, we've got Tiny Ron Taylor as the giant hitman Lothar. Uh, we even get William Sanderson, E.B. Farnham himself is back, y'all, as one of the diner patrons. Like, it is, it is incredible the talent that is on display here that would go on to just continue to kill it at the box office a lot of young talent and uh bigelow went on to be a huckster in uh the crow except oh yeah in the airspace he ran a pawn shop and uh was also murdered oh that's right (laughs) just a bad guy all around yeah bigelow would like could you not get danny devito bigelow was your go-to for like just a greasy nasty dude that you just don't trust which is funny because devito is lovely what a great resume to have it's, for that guy. Yeah. Every time I hear the name Bigelow, I think about when the guy shows Rob Schneider his dick and Deuce Bigelow, and he's like, what's that, Bigelow? Wasn't there this morning. <laughs> oh, I think man. it's William Forsyth. 
<laughs> whips out his dick in a bathroom stall. What's that? Well, that's lovely. Poor John Polito. He didn't deserve that. Uh, anyway, the film pulled in uh, 46.7 million worldwide against a budget of 35 to 40 million. It's fuzzy. Uh, opened at number four behind Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which, to be fair, does kind of rule. City Slickers, which also kind of rules, and Dying Young, which I've never heard of before. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I don't. Who is in Dying Young? Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, understandably, bit of a commercial disappointment at the time, but it has gone on to see something of a, a revival and become something of a cult classic. Uh, it inspired a spinoff kids show on Disney Junior, and it's actually getting a full blown sequel sometime in the next year or two on Disney Plus. So, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't well received time, I think time itself has vindicated the Rocketeer. So uh, it, it was behind the box office from Dying Young. Is that what you said? That is what I said. Yeah. Dying Young starring Julia Roberts and Campbell Scott and apparently uh, Vincent uh how do you say his last name? Vincent Denaf Vincent D'Onofrio. Vinny D. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Wow. Vinny Vinny yeah, D is going to make some money. You know what? With Julia Roberts, she gave him something else nobody could uh, else could. A reason to live. There you so go. It's just pulling me, and I got to yeah. watch this movie. Sugar Water also big yes. on Vinny D'Onofrio's list of reasons to live. Also, killing daredevils. Yeah, white paintings. Yeah, white, white paintings. All right. Well, the film sits at 66% on Rotten Tomatoes with generally favorable reviews. IMDb describes this movie as such. A young pilot stumbles onto a prototype jetpack that allows him to become a high-flying masked hero. What are your guys' one-liners? Let's give it to The Courier. Actually, they say the comic movie we deserve but didn't know we wanted. Oh, all right. I like that. Zoot? Jennifer Connelly puts up with some flyboy boyfriend that doesn't respect her acting career. Oh, and there's Nazis. Who get punched? That's important. <laughs> you want that? I'm wait. I'm saving that for the rest of the podcast. Oh, fair enough. Okay. And TW? James Bond stars in, I'm actually a Nazi, but I lose to the man who knows too little. <laughs> I nice. mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I'm going to call this one Captain Rocket, the first draft of an MCU movie. It is so clearly like the you can see what's happening and you're like, you know, in like 26 years, this is going to be real good. Joe Johnson. It's certainly <laughs> the template. And it also feels a lot like Dick Tracy where it's like, this is so close to being like when I was a kid, I was like, this is really great. And I still love this movie a lot, but there, like there's a transition point where it like escapes being truly great. And just like, I love it because I was a kid. Mm. Yeah. The campiness of it? Yeah. Well, I think they just add in a whole bunch of plot points and we'll get to it in the plot that it's like, mm -hmm. uh, nope, nope. Just get to it. Get to the big stuff. And Yeah. I mean, it, let's, let's jump into the plot so we can actually talk about some of those elements and pull it apart because this movie really isn't bad. It, it's, it's a very good movie. It definitely shouldn't have flopped, but what happened about it? And I think if you look at some of the plot, you, you can kind of get a sense. So this thing is set, as we had mentioned, in 1930 Los Angeles. And the movie opens as gangsters from Eddie Valentine's gang steal a rocket pack from Howard Hughes. And during their escape, they, uh, the getaway driver hides this rocket pack in some random airfield, the same airfield 
where stunt pilot Cliff Seekard is doing his first test flight of his brand new racing plane. Uh, Cliff sticks the gum that he's chewing to the tail of his plane, which seems like a weird thing to do. And it's a weird thing for me to focus on, except for the fact this is a huge payoff for later in the movie. Like the gun, the gum keeps coming up. Like he's chewing gum and he like deliberately sticks it to the tail rudder or whatever. And, and this is the first big issue with probably why the movie wasn't a hit. Cause it was playing on nostalgia that the people they wanted to see this did not care about. Cause it's, it really, it's a send up to these 1930 serials. Yeah. And it comes out yeah. 61 years later or 60 years later, whatever. And nobody, like there, there's nothing to play on with that. Like little kids don't get it. Yeah. I think it's the fact that you had like what the Rocketeer comics started in like the 80, early 80s. Yeah. Like 19. So they were trying to, yeah. so they're trying to play off of like, Oh, parents might remember the Rocketeer and then have their parents, you know, kind of bring them into what their parents were watching when they were like young. So it kind of tried to pull in that audience, I think, but it was just mainly a lot of, Hey mom, I want to see this movie. Hey dad, take me. It really feels like it fell into a, a strange space and time where it wasn't hitting any audience correctly and yeah. probably why it flopped. I mean, it's one of those things where you just, I don't feel like they hit the nostalgia cycle just right. Cause it coming out in 91, there is like a lot of deep cut golden age of Hollywood stuff in this that like, who is alive for that to be like, ha WSC fields reference. This movie yeah. gets me a Howard Hughes <laughs> reference. A, the, uh, the Hollywood sign blowing up. Yeah. You know, like there's a whole lot of that, which yeah. you know, I appreciate. That's why you can enjoy it after years and years of watching it. You, yeah. uh, as you grow up, I, you didn't know who Howard Hughes was maybe at that age. And then you get older and you realize who that was. And another layer. I mean, it's funny because now with the hindsight of where this is thing is, this thing is set almost a hundred years ago. These are more clear historical figures where you kind of go, Oh yeah, Howard Hughes. I know that. And you know, Leo DiCaprio did a movie about this guy's life. Yep. Oh, and you know, like there's there's a lot of like they clearly spent the time and the energy to set this at the time, not just what an audience would think was cool at the time. <laughs> Unfortunately. Which is, yeah, which is why I really like the movie. I, yeah. I like the historical aspects of it. I like that it feels old timey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I think that ultimately might have been its downfall is that it didn't play enough to a 1991 audience. But let's jump back in just so we're keeping the plot moving along. Uh, Cliff is randomly involved in this this car chase. They shoot at his plane and in the landing, he effectively totals his brand new racing plane. And basically it ends his career. So we learned that movie star Neville Sinclair is the one who actually hired Valentine's gang to steal the rocket pack. And he sends his like, like I, I realize it's a reference to a different character or a different actor at the time, but this giant monstrous henchman named Lothar uh, with this really intense makeup effect, which I don't, did it work for you guys? To me it did. I mean, oh, it reminds me of yeah. the Dick Tracy movie. Um, so I don't know for me, it was just, yeah, I was on board. Which is exactly uh, what I was going to say. It's it is very Dick Tracy adjacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what year did Dick Tracy come out? I think ninety. So before yeah, this could be wrong, but I, it's right around this. And 
I was fine with it because he he is only there to be the muscle. He doesn't have to emote a particular large amount. The makeup is not great in retrospect, but he's there to throw people's heads through a ceiling. So whatever. Yeah. Curry, what yeah. were your thoughts there? 1990, you're right. Like, yeah, as a as a kid, that absolutely terrified me. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, you see this guy who looked like 14 feet tall with like this like scrunched up face. But it did very, it read very much uh what was it? Like Al like uh Al Pacino's character like had that same sort of look in uh Dick Tracy actually. Like the so weird that's lips and like, ears. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like so that's how it kind of read to me. So it was like it was great. And like, you know, except for now when you watch it and you notice like the mouth doesn't his mouth doesn't really move when he's like yeah. talking like the rocket. You're like, oh my goodness, like what's going on? But yeah, he's he's a combination of flat top and blubber lips from Dick Tracy. <laughs> I mean, I will I will give it to them. They do a good job with forced perspective. Like whenever he's handed anything, it's deliberately smaller in his giant hand, which is a clever way to make him appear even huger than he actually is. I mean, he was played by a guy who was famously gigantic. So they they even impress upon that to make him larger. Um, but in any case, th- this giant henchman questions the guy who had dropped off the rocket pack and kills him. So now they know where the mobsters know where the rocket pack is. Um, in the meantime, both Cliff and PV, the mechanic, find the rocket pack and start to test it. Um, there are a handful of scenes here where they like strap the rocket pack to a, a statue and fly it around and stuff like that. It's that part drove me nuts. Because I'm like, how did this thing come out, fly away, and then end up coming from behind them? Yeah, it's a little much. But if you don't think that (laughs) Iron Man was directly influenced by this scene, you're nuts. Oh, I mean, a little bit for sure. A hundred, yeah. Like, them, like, you know, like, obviously, Tony's technically in the suit. But, like, them hiding by the, the sort of, they're in the ditch, putting the suit up, like... This, this movie was ahead of its time, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool to look back on and see, like, oh, yeah, like, there's a lot of things I love so much just about the rocket pack and the flight. And obviously, that was also borrowing from Superman, but it's pretty magical for 1991. Well, so. I mean, and, and honestly, I think you're kind of hitting on where we run into the challenge here is that the flight itself when the rocket pack takes off, the green screen is pretty noticeable. Like if, like even even when you compare it to Superman, the green screen feels very like, oh, that is that is that thing is not flying. Like Superman no, I, told I, me, you'll believe a man can fly, and here I'm like, <laughs> I do not believe a rocket pack can fly. I feel that watching it, like when I watched it two days ago, yes, but when I watched it as a kid, uh, my suspension of disbelief, I didn't even pay attention didn't notice i was just in the in the moment moment there so i was just loving it i'll say this um having not watched this basically since i was a kid i thought there yeah there's some chintzy special effects but the flying sequence in particular where he first tests it which i I think is my favorite scene from the movie uh i loved it i loved every second of it and then you know i watched shang chi just the other night I was way more off put by the amount of green screen in that movie, which is 2021. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, why is this so flat? 
why does this look fake when I've seen so many movies done by a studio with a huge budget? And this movie did not have a huge budget. It was big, but not huge. And it looked terrible. Like, I will this- say the, the thing that this movie does that I think we have kind of all not seen a lot of is everything is actually there, save the Rocketeer flying around. Like they built the sets. They're not faking any of this. This is all they had to film this all. They didn't CGI it in. Yeah. And that was kind of nice. There's that bulldog cafe. There's some. That that was a real thing. Yeah. And there's There's, uh, there's some intense literal flight stunts where the guy's just free falling from a plane. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's awesome. You can tell. You can tell he's just a guy fell off an airplane and was parachuting. Like, you just look at it and you're like, oh, that's just, it's beautiful filmmaking because it's like, you've got the, like, you've got that whole sequence when you're like, when he's going to save Malcolm and it's just like, you, like, it, it's not like, you know, you, it gives you that sense of danger because, you know, a lot of movies now you'll watch like even, for instance, like in uh, Captain America, before you even like, when they're going to zip line on that train, they say that line about, oh, we're going to be splattered like bugs. But you're like, oh, they're all going to be fine. Like in this, you saw him get there and he falls off. You're like, yeah, he's not good at this yet. Like to see yeah, somebody yeah. flying as your first like attempt, like it was awesome. It yeah. hits it hits pretty hard. Like thinking like, holy shit, that's a person that has just like rolled off this like thing and is now free falling. Yeah, they like you know, as good as CGI can get the weight of having an actual human do some of these things. It it's pretty great. So kind of jumping back into the plot, uh, we meet Cliff's girlfriend, Jenny Blake, who has a small part in the, in a upcoming Sinclair movie, which is clearly some sort of Robin hood movie. Uh, but when Cliff shows up on set and knocks down a wall, nearly killing several actors, her career prospects also seem pretty bleak. Like, he's just the worst in this scene. Like, he knocks down a wall and he's like, yeah, I'm here for Jenny Blake. Jenny <laughs> yeah. Blake. That's for probably the- one of my least favorite scenes in this whole movie. First of all, that wall. Yeah, for the record. That's nothing the- holding that wall up at all. That's on the prop department. Not on yeah. Cliff Secor. <laughs> and second, any, guy, any person would know at that point, don't call out the person you're looking for by name. I'm here Get for Neville Sinclair. Neville yeah. Sinclair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got he told drugs. Me, poor Neville Jenny. Told me he wanted tacos and hookers. Oh, oh geez. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, like, th- that to me felt like a misstep where I'm like, this makes me not like the Rocketeer very much. I need yeah. to like this guy. And God, what an asshole. Well, this is, this is where, to me, like, where the movie it doesn't have that the marvel formula like it starts treading its wheels pretty hardcore for a while yeah um mm-hmm. and you know as a kid i didn't notice it but as an adult i i did because it kind of meanders for a while after this and yeah but the, the key point in this scene is that secret is trying to tell jenny all about the rocket pack that he's found and what's going on which sinclair overhears and after saying oh well jenny blake will never work in this town again he invites Jenny to dinner somewhere so that they can, you know, get to know each other better. But really, it's so he can find the the rocket pack. You don't exactly know why yet, but you're going to find out. Definitely pushes the plot forward. I right. mean, there are plot reasons it happens. Mm-hmm. 
unfortunately they come at the cost of me liking the main character a little bit yeah um, we did kind of mention that there is an air show um uh, the courier mentioned how malcolm is one of these aged air like i guess world war ii aerial aces uh who is dressed as a clown and flying this clown show at the airfield but the plane is just a piece of crap and almost immediately starts to to die so Cliff throws on the rocketeer outfit, rockets off, saves him, and immediately becomes a media darling. To this point, like th- this whole sequence with Malcolm, he was trying to make up for earlier in the movie where he ruined the date with Jenny, but um, you know, ruined Cliff's date because he told him that's why he was even at that movie set. But I was like, you know, the problem with that is it was like, okay, back then you were kind of like okay, well, I get why Jenny's upset and I get why he's kind of like that guy, but you never gave him that like bumbling kind of like mentality. He's, you know, you give him that he's supposed to be a cool, a cool guy, but you're like, why now are you like, I'm gung ho about this when you're like so gun shy about so many other things. Yeah. like He goes from, Oh, I'm an ace pilot to yeah, fucking throw this thing on. I'm going to, I'm going to go save him. You, mm-hmm. you have literally watched this thing do stuff that would kill a man like a bunch of times. But I mean, I, I guess Malcolm's his buddy. So yeah. desperate times and desperate measures, he's going to be the hero. And let me just pause and say the design on this character is incredible. This is when he, he gets oh. the helmet, he gets the leather jacket, and he actually gets the, the rocket pack on. And this becomes the look for the Rocketeer. And honestly, I think it's this design that carries this whole character. It's mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. Yep. Mm-hmm. Love it. Everything about it. Yeah. The uh, Art Deco of all of that is, I mean, I'm just very partial to Art Deco to begin with. And I, I think that this movie might be one of the reasons why to be, that I started liking that art style. And just that's one of those things that I think made me like it even more than I probably should have. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I hard agree. And it's one of those things, too, where I like that they give an explanation for the way the helmet is shaped. Like in universe, mm-hmm. they say, oh, it's shaped that way because the helmet acts as a rudder. So turn your head and it'll help, help you fly and turn. And I'm like, I- I'm not, I'm certain the aerodynamics of that don't actually work like that and would probably break <laughs> Cliff Seekard's neck. But at the same time, I'm like, I really appreciate that you did that. Thank you. I mean, he's got to yeah. have something to keep the wind off his face so he can mm-hmm. see. Oh, and that rudder on the back, that's how he steers. Perfect. Perfect. I am here for this. Well, our duckle flare, and we're good to go. We're making movies, baby. <laughs> that's how we do it. So <laughs> after becoming this new media sensation, media darling, this clues in Sinclair, the FBI, and the Valentine gang that, hey, probably the person who has this rocket pack has something to do with this airfield. So... Sinclair sends Lothar around to investigate. Lothar kills the airfield leader, uh, John Palantino. Did I say that correctly? Polito. Lido, thank you. Uh, and eventually gets around to Cliff and Petey's house uh, where he attacks him, but the FBI arrives just in time so that Cliff and Petey escape, but not before Lothar steals the rocket schematics. Can we go back for a second? Yeah, let's go back. We literally did not talk about the fact that he did not only kill Bigelow, he folded that man in half. Yeah, that's his move. He's like, 
because the guy who was it the uh, henchman in the hospital he just like folded him like and jacked him up and then it was like hey you know it was such a weird reaction from like the fbi agents because the one was just like oh and you're like wait if i saw somebody folded in half i might seriously just puke like if i recall like the lighting on that was like really eerie and green and yeah yeah very creepy on on his body and i remember that affecting me as a kid going like what you see his feet up by his head you're like I don't want yeah. to see the rest of that fold him in half the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like I, broke his spine like a book. Did I just miss this? I watched it on Disney Plus and they zoomed in on his face. You could see his foot next to his face. Because he was still breathing. <laughs> that was I was like, oh, the actor oh, was. You gotta do a re- you gotta do another take. But I don't recall the foot being there. I, th- I believe it's right there next to his oh, head. Yeah. I think yeah. they might have, I think they might have darkened it out. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's a gruesome way to murder somebody it's it's like a, a massive gorilla came in and just went played your spine like an accordion yeah and then he gets knocked out by jennifer connelly so what am i supposed <laughs> to think about lothor okay I, I think what you should think is jennifer connelly is deadly as a motherfucker with a vase and you should back off her she uh, definitely you know. she she would definitely punch a mutant dog in the dick she had to <laughs> the old movie trope of uh Knocking somebody unconscious with a vase or something. I just that's a big factor here. How convenient. So later at the airfield diner, we where Cliff and PV are then trapped by Valentine mobsters who are clued into what's going on. They learn that Jenny's on a date with Sinclair, and they also learn about the actor's involvement with the rocket pack. And it's at this point we cut to the the Hollywood club where Jennifer Connolly is uh, how would you describe how she is dressed uh, enough to you know drop kick a 13 year old into full-blown puberty uh, uh 15 at the time but yes yes too uh <laughs> too sexy for a 19 year old to be hanging out with a uh this is 30 is years it? ago uh timothy dalton was 47 or something so yeah yes yeah it's enough that when I saw this movie at the age of nine, I went, "Huh, that's neat." Plus, the, you get the you get the full camera zoom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like they they literally stop hand down this children. This is a this is a kids movie for the most part, right? Like this is it's PG. They stop this movie and zoom in on Jennifer Connelly's breasts, and you're like, "I guess that's one way to address it." The worst part is the line. He's like, I'm charmed, doubly charmed. And then the zoom in. <laughs> like, it's not even like subtle. Like, it's not a subtle, like, literally have to have the line about doubly charmed before zoom in. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the the movie. It, it's as though the movie looks back at you and goes, you were looking at Jennifer Connelly's boobs, weren't you? Well, Take a good long look, you pervert. It was it was actually, hey dads, this is for you. <laughs> hey well, like, dads, who brought your kids to see the Rocketeer? Cash, you said you were uh, you said you were nine at the time. I was You're, I was fifteen. I was fifteen at the time. So, uh, yeah, that dress and that actress in that role that that was that was for me and the dads. I guess I definitely uh, enjoyed that. So uh, that kind of started my whole being a, a fan, lifelong fan of Jennifer Connelly. Between that and uh, career opportunities that same year it honestly to me it it feels like the it is very much the leia in a metal bikini 
for my older brother. That's kind of where I'm at with this. <laughs> like, were you born 10-ish? Were you born in the 70s? Lay in the metal bikini is equal to Jennifer Conley in her white dress in the Rocketeer. Feels like. Just uh, slightly inappropriate, but still passed through. Yeah, yeah still, uh, this is a kid's movie. But, you know, we're not, you know, we're not that good. Anyway, back at the diner, the patrons overpower the gangsters, uh, but a stray bullet punctures the Rocketeer's rocket tank, which PV temporarily patches with the gum. It comes back. The gum comes back. Uh, and Cliff then proceeds to the, uh, it's called the South Seas Club, the, the club where they're having their date. Um, he lets Jenny know about his new alter ego and the Valentine gang, I guess, radios ahead. I mean, I guess they have a, a phone, but either way, the Valentine gang shows up, attacks everybody. Uh, Jenny is in, is kidnapped by Sinclair, but not before she uses some rad vase kung fu on Lothar's head and just knocks his ass out, which is, which is only notable because she's about to do it again in less than 10 minutes of screen time. <laughs> kind of feels like you're doing the same thing twice a little bit here. A lot of vase breaking. Yeah, doesn't she? Uh, yeah. Doesn't she get Sinclair in the in his? Yes, house? exactly. Yep. So yep. Jenny wakes up in Sinclair's home and promptly knocks him out with a vase, only to discover which it's real weird how she does this. Like she's running through his house, she winds up in his library and starts pulling at books and finds a secret room. Wouldn't you just find the exit? Like again, I realize plot has to happen, but this is one of those things where she's like. Let me pull out the books. And, oh, there's the secret door. And it opens into his secret radio station. And I'm like, would you just well, run out the front door? To, to be fair, remember, she snuck out. And then uh, she she like knocked something over. So Lothar was downstairs. Okay. So she, yeah, so she, she did come back in after she saw Lothar. Yeah. So eating, eating chicken as Lothar does. Yeah. Aha, see, Cash? <laughs> there was you, a reason. You don't get that big. You don't get that big eating tofu. That's all I'm trying to say. I mean, that's not fair. I maybe you can. I don't know. <laughs> either either way, my still, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe when I'm at a strange house, I should be rifling through their books looking for a secret. Well, door. I mean, she already saw him maybe. like shutting in the, the secret room. So she already knew a secret room was there. So it wasn't she did. It. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, yeah. though, grab any strange sounding book. Any book that doesn't appear appropriately or appropriate thematically in the shelf, you should grab just in case it might lead to a secret room. That's just okay. It's a, okay. Okay. right there. It's Hang a very on. Adams family thing. So we learned then that in actuality, Sinclair is a Nazi spy. And all this to say, she then gets recaptured and is forced to tell Cliff to bring the rocket pack to the Griffith Observatory. Uh, to exchange in exchange for her life before he can leave cliff gets arrested by the fbi and gets taken to howard hughes hughes explains that the rocket pack is actually a prototype similar to the one nazi scientists have been developing largely unsuccessfully and we get like this reel of people dying horribly as their rocket packs explode and then we also get kind of like a a weird elephants on parade cartoon sequence where nazi rocketeers take over the world it, it feels kind of funky, no? Oh, it's just propaganda. Mm. Yeah. Know, just uh, here's what we're developing to conquer the world type, 
type deal that I they guess. obviously intercepted. It was just it. a good excuse to have some traditional animation in the film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Right. It was actually Walt Disney's dream to build. <laughs> after you, after you freeze my head, what yeah. I need are Nazis with rocket jets taking over the world to, to build his Nazi fleet of rocketeers. Oh, y- yike! Big yike. Anyway, um, <laughs> Hughes also explains that they're looking for a Nazi spy somewhere in amongst the Hollywood elite, which then Cliff goes, oh, it must be Sinclair, which kind of feels like an ass pull to me. This is another one of those like it's definitely the guy that's going to bang my girlfriend. (laughs) I know who it is. (laughs) I know who the Nazi is. It's definitely the guy I already don't like. Eh, I mean, guys, I swear. I swear to God, it's Timothy Dalton. You're right. It definitely is Sinclair, but your your motives for thinking he's the Nazi, I have some questions about, sir. It, yeah, it, it must well, be a character it, already a double, in this movie. Yeah, it's a double like it's a weird double thing because it's like at one point you hear you hear him rationalize it, but you like it kind of feels like he pulled it, but then he rationalized it because then because he says like, you know, they're like, oh come on, and he goes, well that's why he was bossing this guy's men around. But you're like, oh, you came up with that on the fly. Like, yeah, that's what it like, feels like. He's remembering that as he's saying it. Except, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, except really, like, she witnesses, like, the fact that he's probably the bad guy. And he's, like, long gone. You know, well, actually, I guess he's floating around the room like an idiot, which is my least favorite scene in the movie. Because then he's like, oh, I could just shoot straight up. Straight up through the window. Uh you're jumping way back to yeah. the the South Seas Club, but yeah. yeah, but like that was the time he would have witnessed this behavior, which he really didn't. She did, but then yeah. he's fully convinced he's the bad guy. Like it, it feels like they needed some kind of like Jenny tells the Rocketeer, "Hey, uh, Neville Sinclair is bossing the Valentine gang around. Something seems up or weird," and it just it never happens in the frenetic pace of the movie. Like this well, movie no, just isn't watch it for that point and see if maybe yeah. something was missed. It's possible. Listen, I drink and watch movies. I, those, those are, th- I'm not going to eat everything. I'm not going to eat everything, but either way, Cliff does escape Howard Hughes and the FBI basically by grabbing onto a giant model of the spruce moose only for Howard Hughes to like, basically look at the camera and go, Son of a bitch will fly. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I don't, I do not care about all the vandalism that has taken place in my facility. I'm just I have money. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm Turns just gonna out, pee in jars and save my fingernails. Yeah, because because he wasn't able to release that plane. Turns out own. he was uh, you know, he was just in purgatory on the lost island. So yeah. this is all a dream. <laughs> None of this is real. I mean, a little bit. There's there's a lot of logical inconsistencies with a rocket pack, but frankly, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cliff flies to the rendezvous where Sinclair demands Cliff hand over the rocket pack. But in what is my favorite part of the movie, Cliff lets the Valentine gang know, hey, this guy's working with the Nazis. This guy is a Nazi. And the Valentine gang all turn their guns on Neville Sinclair and go, I ain't never made an honest buck before, but I don't work with no two-bit Nazi. And like, 
Is he paying I you have... in dollars or Deutschmarks? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> which which is anachronistic because they would have been Reichmarks at the time, but that's fine. But if every grandparent that took their grandkids to see this movie didn't stand up and immediately applaud that moment like they couldn't believe what happened, yeah. I don't believe we live in America. <laughs> yeah, no. that's. I think that's like the greatest historical piece of this movie that's no longer relevant considering recent occurrences because now they'd be like oh no that guy's definitely on the side of the Nazis well what's a Nazi <laughs> yeah. oh yeah I don't know what's the big deal he's literally a Nazi yeah but oh like I I I love that moment it's so good it's awesome it's awesome the, when... if I believe the last shot we ever see of Valentine is when he's side by side with the uh, feds oh, shooting yeah at hang on hang on we're gonna get there sorry, yeah. sorry. but but that shrug between the two of them yeah. So like it just let me speed run. Effectively, what happens is out of nowhere, Sinclair snaps up like basically an army of Nazis, which begs the question, what is what is he doing with a Valentine gang? I guess the Valentine gang can basically operate without having to like alert the people to the, all the, the German speaking folks. And there's a giant Zeppelin <laughs> that they're going to escape on, which f- fine, fine. It's a movie. It needs a climax. I'm cool with it. And the FBI show up and they basically start a big shootout. And to Zoot's point, at one point, one of the main FBI characters that we've encountered and Eddie Valentine are next to each other, look at each other, shrug and continue to shoot at Nazis. And I'm just like, love it. Fuck. Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. Listen, we're on opposite sides of this, but fuck those Nazis. There's, Nazis. there's two scenes in this movie where the FBI are like collateral damage be damned. We're just going to fire as many bullets as humanly possible. This is one of them. And when they're at Seacord uh, slash Peavy's house, we're like, he's firing back. Fucking kill him. <laughs> well, the third time, because the first time is when they're in the first car chase and they're just like, oh, yeah, the black and white. And uh, and they're just yeah, they're not carrying at all. They're just shooting everywhere. You literally have a line from Peavy saying, yeah, we don't have a house. We have a gazebo. So you can tell how much they were just like, empty the clip, load another one, empty it again. Walls? <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need walls. Sinclair grabs Jenny, brings her aboard the Nazi airship, which feels like a dastardly villain thing. But I do appreciate that the movie stops and has Sinclair say the line, look, we don't need the rocket pack. If we got the girl, the rocket pack's coming to us. I'm like, hey, I really appreciate that. Good job, movie. He chewed scenery this whole movie. There was never a point where he wasn't on screen that I did not appreciate Timothy Dalton. Like, I, I, I just was like, he like leaned into that so hard. There's a reason he was James Bond at the time. He was the James Bond Dalton. He was what I wished he was as James Bond in this. He was was a good Bond. I think the material failed him. License to Kill, great. The other one, not so great. Less, less great. Yeah, but all of which to say though, his plan works. The Rocketeer does fly into the airship. There is a fight. It is kind of great where we get the moment where you realize, oh shit, the Rocketeer is a pilot. He doesn't know how to fight for shit because Timothy Dalton's like, I do all my own stunts and just decks the dude, and you're like, uh oh. 
So a lot of, a lot of bad fist fights. Yeah. <laughs> Which the most 90s part of this film, the fist fights. <laughs> it's it's very like, what if Indiana Jones, but you know, more gangly. Either way, Jenny resolves this issue by effectively using a flare to light the entire thing on fire. And oh, by the way, it's one of those dirigibles that are filled with helium or hydrogen rather than helium. So now we've got a ticking clock. To be fair, I think she looked around for a vase first and then found the flare gun. At a minimum, she could have tried head trauma. It's worked for her two out of two times at this point. She's very proficient at uh, giving people concussions, but nothing was on hand. Almost had a hat trick. Just had to blow the whole thing up. (laughs) There's no vases. I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. I, I do is, like is Jenny that, Blake. I do like that even Cliff is like, no, don't do that. She still is like, no, I'm doing it. In the scuffle, though, the uh, Neville Sinclair grabs Jenny, points a gun to her, and says, you know, give me the rocket pack or I'll kill her. And Cliff takes off the rocket pack and in doing so peels off the bit of gum, the gum, gum. coming right on back again. To let the coolant or whatever or fuel or whatever it is leak out of the rocket, gives the rocket pack to Neville Sinclair, who now holding all the cards, does not immediately murder both Cliff and Jenny right. and flies off, only to just die in a ball of fire <laughs> when the coolant in the most epic effect sequence of the whole movie because this fucking asshole was gonna fly all the way to berlin in the jetpack doesn't cover his tracks and he's like no see ya <laughs> step one is get off of that thing step two is figure it out from there oh, i mean yeah the- i mean from- it was on fire it was it on r- fire they were all gonna blow up it runs on from- alcohol he went from being James Bond to a James Bond villain in yeah. that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they'll just die in the fire. They'll be all right. Oh, shit. Is this what this is like? Huh. Literally. Literally a James Bond villain. Like, oh, oh, shit. I, I really should never have been removed from that starring role. Now I'm just the villain. Yeah. Let me. But. <laughs> What like like they said in Awesome Powers? I'm just gonna leave him an easily escapable trap and uh, assume everything goes to plan. <laughs> but he then, as he explodes and crashes into the mountain, quite literally, he blows up the Hollywood land sign, leaving us with what is now the Hollywood sign. I, I don't. It, it used to say Hollywood Land. I know there was a fire, but this is another one of those. Huh? Remember Hollywood? It was like a wink, wink, wink. Huh? And, and us kids watching it were like, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. okay. Yeah, as a kid, I remember looking at that and going, I know the Hollywood sign, but land? Yeah. Oh, it blows up. So that's why. Did why they it add is. land okay. to this for him to blow exactly. it up? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's very Quantum Leap. Like, if you watch Quantum Leap, they, they do that shit all the time. Uh, yeah. It, it felt funky, but you know what? Whatever. It, it's fun it's and plays a weird thing. Yeah. Um, either way, the airship explodes. Uh, Lothar, who's still around, explodes. Luckily, with- it only explodes in sections, slowly progressing, not all at once. Yeah. yeah Again, no, totally reasonable. <laughs> if you're going to get salty with the physics, we're going to start with the rocket pack, man. It's fine. It explodes as much as the plot demands. We're gonna, it's fine. <laughs> we're going to start with the man who would light his own legs on fire. <laughs> 
I also don't like how even though the whole portion of the blimp exploded where Lothar's harness was connected, it still held him back because mm. he was attached to it. The exploded sure. part. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it was made out of metal, so it was connected to the other metal yeah, bits. He's, he's on the frame. He's on the frame. Yeah, it doesn't sure. burn up. It's fine. Also, do you think Lothar's 40 time was that good? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that guy was moving. <laughs> He's a big dude. He it's it's the gate. He'll cover a lot of ground exactly. in a short amount of time with with less effort. But fortunately, our heroes are saved by Hughes and Peavy in an auto gyro. Which, when's the last time you saw that outside of a cartoon? I, it's it's a lot of fun and it's weird, but it's just a, such a strange aircraft that you're like, oh, clearly this is Howard Hughes. It's fine. Yeah, that was just kind of like. Well, we're at this point in this movie. Why not? Sure, you know? sure. I mean, they got together. Yeah, that makes that's, sense. That's one of the weaker points, too. Like, at least preface that, that Howard Hughes would airplane, like yeah. to help save this guy who's got guts and moxie and whatever. They just kind of show up. Back and forth when they were in the same room with each other. Yeah, right? but there, there's no real lead into it. I, I mean, mean, it's a great moment, but it's unearned, that moment. With, I feel like I need to go back and watch. Is there an auto gyro before that scene? Yeah, like they even. I don't think there is. No, I don't think so. I think it's one of those things where anything. it's like we need a helicopter, but helicopters didn't exist then. Yeah, it just for this kinda... final thing, we need a, a a way to drop a ladder that people could grab. So we need a helicopter, but not a helicopter. I, I mean, I guess I'm I'm nitpicking because it's. That is more within the realm of possibility than Howard Hughes being like, okay, don't go get my really important shit. Let this guy go fight the Nazis alone. This is this is a good idea. Okay, fair enough. Either way, they are rescued. And in the denouement, uh, we we find that everything is great. Uh, Howard Hughes presents Cliff with a brand new aircraft. It's a GB aircraft racer. And a fresh pack of the gum that he's been chewing the whole time. Hughes leaves and Jenny returns PV with the, the plans that he had drawn up for the rocket pack. And PV's like, ah, oh, I could make another, maybe better rocket pack. So maybe there's a sequel. There's not a sequel. I mean, you know, not for 30 years. Uh, and uh, that ends the movie. So my big question is, how many beers do you need to enjoy this? Let's go around the horn and let us start with the bewildered courier. I'd go with zero. Um, mainly zero. Because, yeah, mainly because I think of the uh, nostalgia factor. Like I would sit and I've a couple of times even before the pod, I've, I wa- would watch it. I'd probably do maybe one or you know what? You know what? Let me change that. I'd go with one, probably just enjoyment drinking it, not even to go. get through the movie. Yeah, you're just you're hanging out. You're gonna watch a you gonna watch a film, have a drink. There you go. Here for that. Zoot. I also would be on the zero one spectrum. I mean, this movie I just love. I've bought it on VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. Now it's on Disney Plus. 40k. Um, yeah, 4K. I mean, I buy every version of this movie. I just I love it. I watch it over and over again. Um, but yeah, I'm not gonna say no to a beer, but don't need a beer to enjoy this movie. All right, fair enough. TW. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with them. It's 
it's zero beers, uh, but I guess you could have two enjoyment beers. This movie's wonderful. It's got a lot of heart. Uh, it's it's got it's got flaws for sure. But if you grew up when we did, I guess you wouldn't notice uh, the warts because there wasn't a million uh, superhero movies then. So this movie's just a lot of fun. Like it yeah. feels like a throwback. Uh, it's a good time, and the soundtrack is great. The score yeah, is we, awesome. We haven't got to that yet. Ooh, I, I actually don't have a lot of references. Would you like to gush about the score now? I am a huge James Horner fan. Um, I've loved his soundtracks throughout my entire childhood and into adulthood. I was very sad when he passed away in an airplane accident. And um, yeah, I, another thing, like when I, I bought the soundtrack on back on CD um, and listened to it over and over through art school and everything. Very inspiring. Love it. It just takes it one more notch up. It's like, what is Star Wars without John Williams? I mean, that's like, what is Rocketeer without James Horner? Yeah. This you know, score honestly, is, this score I, I, really I, did, I didn't want to be this guy, but this movie with John Williams and either Spielberg or Lucas, this is a instant classic. They they still have movie park rides about this movie. Oh, you, you oh, can... Yeah. You could definitely argue that if Spielberg or Lucas directed this, uh, that it would be uh, much more fondly remembered, mm-hmm. or at least still in the cultural zeitgeist. But the score is unimpeachable. The score is so good. Okay, it's Fair so good. I'm a little harsher on this than I than I am than the rest of you. I'm going to give this a two. Like it's it's good. It's fun. It's it's 108 minutes. So you can't like, it's over before you notice it. The only reason I'd be like two beers, you kind of like the flight just doesn't work. Like the green screen is, is just way too green screen. And in places where it doesn't have to be. I get what you're saying, but just stop watching it and listen to James Warner then for a minute. I, I think, I think this movie holds up relatively well for a nineties movie. I do. I think the, I think the biggest problem with the green screen comes in where like, kind of like you said, like certain points where you just like, it's obviously that obvious that they animated flames, like, like all the parts where he takes off, it looks fantastic. Like that for, especially that first one at the airfield, like, you know, just the fire shoots out everything. Cause I think that was practical, but like when he goes to fly up to Malcolm, it's very obvious like that there's like, you know, that green screen look, but I think we're looking too hard at it for a nineties movie. It's not that bad early 91. Right. Cause you have like, cause even, even when you talk about like, you know, you brought up Superman, you know, in 78, but you didn't have to deal with anything like, like fire or anything like that. It's literally just a man in front of a green screen. You didn't I will have to say, really do any other animations. There's a lot of coverage they get from creating a smoke trail behind the Rocketeer. Like as mm-hmm. you watch this, you'll see mm-hmm. there's a lot of shots of him flying off into the distance and they'll create a smoke trail behind them, which I feel like obscures a lot of the, the more intense outline of the green screen. Yeah. But you know, but all right, uh, before we get into questions, I wanna we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, and we're going to hear from our buds over at the Double Turn podcast. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to the 134th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops brought to you by Wabam Entertainment. We are talking The Rocketeer, our thoughts, our concerns, what we could have done better. So biggest question going into this, did this movie deserve to flop? Let's start with Zoot. Absolutely not. This was amazing. I would have loved to see more from this universe. Uh, It just... This movie spoke to me as a kid, and I still love it as an adult. And I think it's very much uh, didn't get what it deserved. I, I think this should be a lot more talked about than it has been. And just a big fan of it. Bewildered Courier? Uh, definitely not. I think that exactly it was ahead of its time. Like you said, you know, it kind of is like a precursor to the MCU. And it was a comic book movie that was made for a time like you know it was it just happened to fit in that time where you had batman 89 and uh you know everybody's looking at it and was like this is dark but it was a fun romp and you know it 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 just i think it was a product of just the time and the you know the inexperience that like people had that he had as a director in that uh you know in that arena but then Mm -hmm. also the fact that you had a uh it just was like it was a not a, a not a well-known property he didn't have like you know like now you know you can throw shang chi like shang chi into a uh you know into a show and uh, into a movie and it's like millions of dollars well i mean to that point i mean think about this movie came out in 91 like what in 1991 the most popular comic book characters the most storied comic book characters Two had already had movies. Spider-Man, they've been trying to develop, but logistically, they they didn't have a way to make it happen. Like, The Rocketeer feels like one of those movies where they looked around at all the comic properties and went, well, we can't do Thor. We can, like, we tried to do Hulk in a TV series. That that only kind of worked. What can we do? And Rocketeer is pretty straightforward, right? Like, there's not a lot of supernatural elements to it. So I, I get why they'd go, yeah, let's try to make that. Yeah. Am I surprised at Plop? Yes. Uh, Dick Tracy made $162.7 million. The year before. The year before. That's insane. Now, this is 1990. Wow. Uh, movie stars still mattered then. And, you know, Warren Beatty was a legitimate movie star. And there's Al Pacino no, was a legitimate movie, yeah. movie star. Madonna. Movie star. Madonna. Yeah, I mean, that thing was stacked. Uh, Doubly stacked. What's his name? Uh, Dustin Hoffman's in that movie, although he's, you know, he's mumbles. But it was a stacked movie. And whereas this movie feels, I, th- I think it's a more relevant character, to be honest, than Dick Tracy was at the time. It didn't have the star cachet. So definitely not. No. I honestly uh, think I feel like Dick Tracy hurt this movie because 
I saw Dick Tracy too, and it was weird and dumb, and like I haven't revisited it, but I've watched The Rocketeer since. I'm only speaking from personal experience. I like bought full into Dick Tracy. Now, granted, it was my second comic book movie, really after Batman, and I had all those toys too. But I had the friggin' watch. I had all that shit. Oh, you bought merch. Yeah, I bought. Oh, wow. I, I literally bought Dick Tracy merch. You saw that? Merch that that, that might be worth something. No, no, yeah, no one it's kept long. that shit. Did they even have uh, Rocketeer merch? I don't remember seeing much of that as a kid. I did have Rocketeer toys at the time. Like you really felt like there was going to be more Dick Tracy. Like there was tie-ins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where this movie probably didn't have that, but I am surprised at Flop because it's fun. It's a good time, like especially for kids. I just don't understand why this wouldn't have hit i mean for for me am i surprised it flopped i don't know it's weird because it feels like it shouldn't have but at the same time it never complete like as an adult watching it it never completely clicks for me where i'm like oh fuck yeah i was completely wrong as a kid this is great and and honestly i feel like there are two reasons for that and one is the dodgy CGI or the dodgy green screen, rather. But two is Billy Campbell. And I hate to be a dick to that dude because I know he's good in other stuff. But like, I just, he's not as charismatic as his hair is in this movie. Like, he's charismatic in other shit. He's, he's fantastic in Bram Stoker's Dracula. He might be the best part of that. Well, you know, yeah, he certainly outshines Keanu Reeves in Bram's Yeah, Ash, who would you see in that role? And I've thought about this, and this is a question I want to ask you guys. Contemporaries, because like in my brain, I'm like, well, this is Brendan Fraser. This is mm-hmm. clearly Brendan Fraser, but we're, we're about five years too early for that. You know, and again, I, you know, I like I feel like a dick being like, oh, who'd you replace with, uh, you know, Billy Campbell to make this a success, but who'd if have, i was you put the star power in star yeah. power in yeah who am i gonna put the star power behind it cruise doesn't work no because he's done too much top gun and tom cruise has a face that knows like it looks like he knows what mtv is i, I can't explain it he doesn't look like classic enough it doesn't work <laughs> i got it what is it I got, kilmer oh my god you're absolutely right kilmer would have done it Son yeah. of a bitch. That's brilliant. Kilmer and anything. Kilmer, Kilmer in that point. Because just thinking about him as Iceman, Iceman yep. is the charismatic person that you needed to be the Rocketeer. And it would have had the star power to kick it up. Uh, See, as a kid though, like when I watch this movie, like you know, as a box office, you know, in Hollywood and star power means a lot for me. I you say you saw him as you see Brendan Fraser like you picture him in the role like this Billy Campbell is always rocketeer to me because I mean like when I saw that he fit the role I thought he fit the look I thought he did a great job and it didn't matter if I didn't recognize him from anything else at that point I was just like to me that was just like he is the rocketeer and I bought right into it so so uh, and again and, and I'm not uh, I don't want to give the sense that I feel like he did a bad job it just it feels like it it doesn't get beyond a point where you're like hey he looks great i mean he delivers the lines competently but i at, at no point i remember am i ever to the stage where i'm like 
I like this dude. This dude is where it's at, especially because, you know, when he is the Rocketeer, he's always wearing that helmet. So you lose a lot of like the cleverest thing that Iron Man 2008 did was gave you the inside the helmet look, which obviously this movie doesn't have the hood. Yeah, exactly. So like, I just didn't connect with the lead enough was my problem. And maybe that's you a mind did problem. until that wall fell over at the set. Yeah, you're like never not, mind. Not good, I'm out. Good, yeah. Didn't recover. <laughs> uh, I think I think casting anyone to be a superhero in this time and space was such an imprecise science. But I think you nailed it. I think Brendan Fraser would have nailed the Rocketeer. I listen. If, I, if I actually. He, I mean, I'm sticking I, with the bewildered courier, Kilmer. Yeah. I mean, Kilmer, Kilmer too. Uh, but you know. Brendan Fraser was doing school ties in like 93 or 94, probably a little too soon, but then yeah, I guess what I say and Sino Man was the year after this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think he could have done could have done it. Like I like Billy Campbell. I don't think the script does him a particular amount of favors. So it's not on him per se. So maybe recasting it is not maybe they just didn't have him on enough like teen beat magazine covers well, back then he, to really it's not even that. they didn't know what to do that. with him they don't give you enough back story on him to make him likable to where you're like okay like because they give you the okay well they kind of because they kind of gloss over it because in the beginning you like you start out with them in the plane and he's like we're going to take this all the way to nationals you get a throwaway line about oh, well, we saved up all our money for this. And like, you don't see his like kind of struggle to be like, I'm behind this guy. And then all of a sudden you get him just destroying a movie set, throwing his girlfriend under the bus, basically telling her, well, all my friends were at the airstrip. Where were you? Because you're not, you're acting like your scenery. He's such a dick. He is about that whole thing. (laughs) Like you, so you have nothing really to like, you're not really, you're, you're like rooting for him because you know, he's going to be the hero. You're not rooting for him because you want to see him succeed. Yeah. Agreed. And, and maybe you're right. Like maybe a little bit more of his backstory. Why is he a good guy? Where is he at? Would have gone a long way. And, and, and maybe with Billy, uh, Campbell there it, it would have worked I, I don't know that that is lost of time I do want to know this one very important thing we've already mentioned Dick Tracy but it's it's weird that in like a very like small span like this decade we get an Indiana Jones movie a Dick Tracy movie two Batman uh, arguably three Batman films a mummy the shadow, the phantom, like they just ran through all the pulp heroes. <laughs> and my question is, how did we not have a team up movie? And if you could cast that team up movie, who's your team? Now, I gave you Dick Tracy, Indy, uh, Brendan Fraser character from The Mummy, uh, the shadow, the, the phantom. It doesn't need to be just that. I'm open to others, but it I I want you to construct your League of Extraordinary Nazi Punchers. Who's your move? Who wants to go first? Is it from only that time? So it's got to be from broadly, let's say, late 1910 to 
it's got to be World War II. That's your you got about thirty years to play with. Okay, that's a tough question. Let's give uh, the courier the leadoff on his extraordinary league of Nazi punchers. Okay, so obviously you have when you're talking about Nazi Nazi punchers, you have Captain America. Uh, that's off. fair. Yeah, that's the lead. Mean, that's good. He, you know, he punched Hitler on the cover of his first comic book, so that just throws it right there. Um, obviously, like you, you know, you got to bring out the, you know, you brought out the shadow because you know he is like a he's like a Batman type of character. He's your, you know, he can turn like he can cloud men's minds. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, he's a classic horror horror hero, right? Then we have, and then. Like it's a really weird pull, but from secondhand lions, the two brothers, Garth <laughs> and Hub, because I was like the they t- they tell all these stories, like you know, when it takes place, I think it takes place in the like the sixties, like early sixties. So I've lived for a hundred years and I've killed sixty men and only loved one woman. Exactly. He like so he talked about, you know, all these stories that took place, you know, they're your kind of just normal they're your you know on the ground boots on the ground kind of like your hawkeye and black widow oh i like that you get your normies i, I dig yeah. that gotta have and a couple then, normies. exactly and then um, i don't know who would who would round out but you know what i'd probably go with i don't know who i'd go with with the last one i, for, I would for definitely uh, i would definitely bring in indiana jones there yeah you, you gotta have the charisma you need a face. That's fair. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Cap can be your face, though. All right. But let's uh, let's get to Zoot. Who's your lead extraordinary Nazi punchers? I mean, yeah, all I can think about is um, Indy and or, um, Rocketeer and good old Cap himself. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sorry to say this. I'm just not a really a fan of the mummy movies. So Maybe I, mean, you don't, you I don't like Brandon Frazier, but I don't care for it's the mummy fair. movies. It's all right. I mean, it's still like. <laughs> He's very he's he's more World War One. Yeah. Speaking of which, I would you know, you know, Wonder Woman. Let's let's just cross universes. Why not? So uh, she's been around. She's around through all this, and um, definitely uh, you know Kingo from a from Eternals. <laughs> yeah, because he's obviously alive throughout this point. So why not? I'm trying to think. So he's your tech guy. He's gonna he's gonna he's gotta crank up. Oh, he's the one who invented the Rocketeer stuff. Maybe he's Howard Hughes. He's not going to get involved. He's not that guy. He's uh, the actor. Oh, shit. King. Oh, I messed that up. Damn it. (laughs) Festus. I was thinking Festus. Yeah. No. Kingo. I mean, technically, any of them would have been kicking at that time. Yes. Yeah. Pick an eternal. Yeah. Finger guns. It would have worked. All right. Fair enough. Uh, kicking it over to the Thunderous Wizard, your right. E-X-L-N-P's. The, the League of Extraordinary Nazi Punchers. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you got the Rocketeer. I think he's worth mentioning. This is a comic written at the time. You've got Captain America. You've got the Bear Jew from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> You've got Indiana Jones, and then you've got Magneto. I mean, I didn't consider Magneto, but yeah, that would definitely work. Yep. 
the, you're, my I'm not only a fan quibble, of Nazis, that guy. My only quibble with that plan is Magneto is the only one with actual powers. Are you saying they can't have powers to punch Nazis? No, I'm saying that Magneto could have literally everybody else strap on a simple metal plate and Magneto can make them all the Rocketeer at that point. Magneto's a real I watched that that movie. He's he's doing the punch in. He's doing fair enough. So my move for this though, you keep the Rocketeer because flying is actually a, a really interesting note. You add someone from the mummy, but you don't add Rick O'Connell. You take Evie, the love interest, and ultimately Evie O'Connell as your brains. I agree. Are you talking about the Pokemon? Evie? No, not <laughs> Evie O'Connell. Rachel. Rachel Vice's character. Yeah. Oh, God, that, that threw me off so hard. I don't appreciate that. Wow. Uh, you, you have to keep the shadow. You have to keep the shadow. Because the shadow is like the dark horror character and he's maybe mystic and he's creepy. And, and then you throw in the phantom simply because the phantom is the weird guy everybody can look at and go, what is this asshole? Is like purple spandex? Yeah, like he's he's Thor. He's the one who everybody looks at and goes, yeah, sure. You uh, you got the panther powers or whatever from Africa. All right, cool. Nice outfit, by the way. And then finally, I do think you keep Dick Tracy. You keep Dick Tracy as kind of like the on his own, trying to figure out what's going on. Though, in fairness, that might overlap with the shadow. But I think there's there like one is a character that's in bright yellow. One is the character that's really dark black. They could have some fun playoff. Yeah, Dick Tracy as a detective picked the very wrong color to be sneaky. No, he's just he's just going the Robin route. Exactly. I'm I'm bright and colorful, so you see me coming. That's right. Comments, right. I like that. So we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we're gonna and then we're gonna get into trivia. But first, let's hear from our friends over at the Hop Nation. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We are finishing out with our Rocket Man trivia for our Rocketeer podcast. Standard trivia, gentlemen. Five questions, multiple choice. If you are correct, you will be the proud owner of a piece of gum that may or may not have been chewed by Billy Campbell. It's definitely chewed gum. It'll be yours Maybe or maybe not, you can save America with it. To buzz in, you can use any of the trivia standards, things from farts and tarts to I'm going to shoot, but I'll also accept I ain't no two-bit Nazi or any of the related things that you would like to chime in with. Just give us a shout. Are you ready, gentlemen? Ready. Yep. All right. Number one, as previously mentioned, the Rocketeer 
had a spin-off series for Disney Junior starring Kit Secord, relative of the original Rocketeer. What was her relationship to him? Was it A, great-granddaughter? Was it B, granddaughter? Was it C, daughter? Or was it D, kid sister? Nazi punching. Nazi punching to the zoot. Going with great-granddaughter. It is great-granddaughter. That is correct. Those five minutes of watching that crappy show paid off. Nailed it. It wasn't, I mean, it's not great, but it's not for me. That's okay. I feel like I mean, I'm sure the demographic, but it just yeah. was like dragging an IP that I love through the mud. Oh, that seems harsh. <laughs> so then again, how would I appreciate it? Like a spider. There's a bunch let's, of let's make it pink Disney Junior movies. I don't know. Anyway, number two, Billy Campbell is in the Disney Junior series as well. Beyond flashbacks as the original Rocketeer, Rocketeer Cliff Secord, what other character does he voice? Is it A, Ambrose Secord, the grandfather of Kit Secord? Is it B, Dave Secord, Kit's father? Is it C, Norman Sinclair, the great-grandson of Neville Sinclair and original villain? Is it D, the great Orsino, a magic-based antagonist? Hearts and hearts. Oh, we're going to give it to the courier. I'm going to go with uh, C, with Sinclair. Ah, that was a good guess, but unfortunately incorrect. It was not Norman. Nazis, I'm going to go with B, dad. B, dad is correct. Ooh, Billy right. Campbell does come back and does voice the father of the Rocketeer, despite the fact his character was actually the great-grandfather. I did not know that, but thank you for that trivia. That was, yeah. that was tough. Yeah. yeah listen, Can we move on right. from that Disney show, please? We are going to move on from the <laughs> Disney show. Oh, with, thank goodness. with the note that there is a sequel that is believed to be titled The Return of the Rocketeer, the lead will be played by, again, in theory, which actor? A, Billy Campbell, he's back. B, Chris Pratt, because isn't everybody. C, Alicia Vikander of Laura Croft fame. Or D, David Oyelo of uh, uh, Selma fame. Nazi punching. Nazi punching. I'm going to go with D. D is correct. Woo, on the board. Who's the, who's the actor? David, is it Oyelo? Uh, yeah, I believe so. The only reason I remember this was, knew that, was because there was some uprising about, well, you can't have a black rocketeer. Yeah, so, and the conceit here is he's supposed to be a Tuskegee airman who discovers yes. the, the rocketeer's backpack. Oh, wait, so what, like, you know what time frame this is going to be in? I mean, it has to be World War II. Yeah. If he's a Tuskegee That's airman. awesome. It I'm could on board be, with that. And I, I like it because it's it, it's a way to move forward. It's kind of like a reverse Captain America, like how they did with Isaiah Bradley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Any well, more see, Rocketeer, I'll take the plot. You know, I just, I've been craving a sequel or just more from this universe. Since it's been knew, literally I, 30 years. I know. All right. 
Okay, so with the curry on the board, one to the Zoots, two. And, you know, Thunderous Wizard, you got to step up. We'll see how it goes. Number four, what year was the first appearance of the Rocketeer as a backup in the Star Slayer comics? Was it 1942? Was it 1962? Was it 1982? Or was it 2002? Nazi punching. Nazi punching to the zoot. 1982. 82 is correct. That's a three to one. Technically speaking, Courier, you may have been eliminated. And frankly, the Thunderous Wizard was eliminated a question ago. Yeah, I was I was going with I was thinking 82, but I didn't want to didn't want to be wrong. That was one of those things when I was coming up with the questions. I was like, what if I I do it by 20 years? Will it confuse people? Because like maybe there was no comic until 2002. But clearly you all have done your research. This the is, movie came out in 91. So Yeah, I know. I was thinking like maybe they didn't make a comic until either way. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Final question. Number five, for the the bewildered courier's pride, and I guess the thunderous wizards also pride, but much more. Jenny Blake is not the name of the comics Rocketeer's love interest, which famous pinup declined to have her name used for the movie, but was the original name. Is it A, Betty Page? Is it B, Betty Grable? Is it C, Jane Mansfield, or is it D, Veronica Lake? Nazi punching. Yep. We're going to give it to the the courier. It's A, Betty Page. It's A. It's obviously A. (laughs) It blows my mind. Like, why why would Betty Page be like, you know what? I'm not not here for it. Not going to do it. It, You know what? It worked because it gave us Jennifer Connelly, and I thank them for that. But yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, Jennifer Connelly would have still been in it. She just would have been. I don't know. Would they, Betty I Page they as opposed her, to. It was Betty Page, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess. All right. Well, let's go around the horn. And I mean, that's it for the trivia. Congratulations, the Zoot. You're going to get a stick of gum pre-chewed, probably by the Rocketeer. You are welcome. Look for that in your mail. Amazing. But let's go around the horn and talk recommendations for this week uh let us start with the bewildered courier what are you into what are you watching what are you digging tell us um what i've actually been digging was uh about a week ago or so i even got flagged for spam on facebook for uh saying i was watching this but i definitely recommend free guy um, oh nice Ryan reynolds movie yes um if you are any sort of fan of video games at all especially if you're a GTA type of fan. Um, the tropes in it are absolutely perfect. It hits the right note. It's got that little bit of like, you know, uh, it does have a good story. You can actually like follow along with it. And the cameos that end up showing up in this movie were fantastic and really unexpected. So definitely take a look. It was really funny. If I wanted to watch it, can I just rent it? Right now, it was on Redbox. I believe you can rent it um, from Amazon Prime. That'll work. All right. Excellent. Let me kick it to Zoot. What's your recommendation this week? Uh, well, with the uh, 
movie like The Rocketeer deserving a sequel worthy of the original after 30 years. Uh, I'm going to recommend another sequel that was 30 years in the making and was well worth the wait. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Just oh, saw really? it last night and it was awesome. Definitely the sequel we deserved. It stood on its own, but it also tied well into the originals. Lots of nods um, to the originals. Uh, good fan service, but not over the top. And just it was it dove into the lore of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> and it was just it set it up for a whole new generation. And I enjoyed it and got a little teary eyed and had a great time. I can't wait to watch it again. So question. What what do you think the age range for a movie like that is? Ghostbusters Afterlife? Yeah. Can I take uh, you know, a five-year-old to it? It depends. Like, you know, does it, your kid like I have a 10-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. My six-year-old daughter would probably love the hell of it, but my 10-year-old son, he's a little more uh, skittish, and there's definitely some jump scares um that would make us probably leave the theater if he was with me. Um, but it's nothing like gruesome or anything i would just say like some of the jump scares are a little little sudden so if they can handle some of those good to go i appreciate that all right t-dubs what's your recommendation this week okay so since we're in nostalgia theater uh i have two recommendations we did do the the rocketeer and uh if you like comic books idw re-released the original first run of dan stevens comics in 2009 uh they recolored them uh he died unfortunately uh i think he had leukemia but he chose the the new colorist um but it's 5.99 digitally if you're looking for hardcover it's going to cost you a little bit more but you can get the the original rocketeer comic book series digitally for 5.99 it's cool. It's cool to to read and to look back on. Uh, so my second bit of nostalgia theater, Rocky versus Drago. If you listen to this pod, I think you know that I'm sort of obsessed with all things 80s action movie. So I gave the Rocky for director's cut a look while well, I bought it, to be fair. And it does some interesting things. It adds a little bit of weight to Rocky and Apollo's conversations. It gives um, it gives Tony Burton a little bit more uh, room to be a dramatic actor, especially with Apollo's funeral. The, the interesting thing is Rocky versus Drago is a director's cut. It's 133 minutes long, or it's an hour and 33 minutes long. Rocky four is an hour and 31 minutes long. So it's, to me, it's not really a director's cut so much as what did I not like about my own movie? And that's the painful part about it. Cause a lot of the shit he cuts out is the stuff I like about Rocky four. And he just, he fleshes out other scenes that are also important to Rocky four, but then totally cuts out everything else. So to put it in perspective, it's an hour and 33 minute movie with 42 minutes of new shit. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm all I'm down for a vanity project of a director always. It's his movie. I get it. But give us a real director's cut. Like build upon what was there, not take away and then add. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult thing cuz 
honestly, I'd rather just watch the original cut of Rocky Four. But it is my recommendation because it's an interesting thing to see. You know, he was bored. He went back during the pandemic. He recut this movie. Um, we're all old enough to love Rocky Four, I think. So it's it's just an it's a very weird case study. Fair enough. Yeah. So can I do right. one more recommendation? Yeah. Go go ahead. We'll uh, give a, you little bonus, <clears throat> a little bonus recommendation besides movies or uh, is just if you haven't listened to it go check out the rocketeer soundtrack by james horner it's just amazing just i mean if you've seen the movie you know but even if you you know you don't even have to just just get the soundtrack take a listen and just enjoy it it's it's just very inspiring it's a majestic score i'm a huge score guy it's so good so good good. all right Rather than do all the fun, nostalgic crap that all the rest of the people are recommending, season five of Big Mouth just dropped on Netflix. I love this show. It is just so over the top and ridiculous. In this season, there is a Christmas episode where you get to see Santa Claus's dick. And either I've just sold you on the whole premise of the series or you hate the idea of the series, but at least you know where we're at. That's my recommendation. Wait a minute. Chris Kringle's Dingle? Yes. The old Kringle Dingle. Okay. The old Kringle Dingle. And and if you feel like just seeing the Kringle Dingle is like maybe the height of how gross the show is going to go, it's not even close. It gets gets way dinglier, way Kringlier. Big mouth, you say. Strong recommendation. It's really, really funny. All right. With that. Thank you for listening to the pod, everybody. Thank you to our two guests. Thank you, the Zoot. Thank you, the Bewildered Courier, for coming on the show. If you want to find the pod, remember we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Bo Flops. Guess if they were to find you, where would they find you? Let's start with the Courier. You can find me on Instagram at Other Brother Daryl. There we go, and the Zoot. Instagram as well, Jeff Zoot Visuals, J-E-F-F-Z-O-E-T Visuals. Beautiful. Thunderous Wizard, where can you be found? When I am not plugging the hole in my jetpack with a piece of gum, you can find me at WriterTLK on Twitter. And as always, I can be found at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. Keep punching them Nazis. <laughs>